Well, thank you, Kevin. And I know they probably announced and reminded everybody that this Saturday is our harvest party, and uh, we're going to be uh, having a petting zoo and uh, uh, bounce houses and chili. And by the way, if you're planning to bring some chili, I'd like to encourage anybody who's going to bring something, if you let's have somebody bring some hot chili, hot and spicy. This coming Saturday. Saturday, 12 to noon. All right. Well, are you ready for a good word this morning? Romans chapter 3. Let's read verse 22 through 24. This is a good word I'm going to give to you today. Romans 3, 22 to 24. There's a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all, ha- for all who believe. But there's no difference. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And or but we are justified, verse 24, by His grace, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for justified is dikaios, D-I-K-A-I-O-S. It's translated, uh, if you'll notice up there, we read verse 22, the righteousness of God. Righteousness is dikaios. It's the same as verse 24. We are justified, dikaios. So this word is used throughout the New Testament. And so to be justified means to be declared righteous. Or just, same word. Justification is righteousness, and righteousness is to be justified. So these verses teach us, number one, that there's a righteousness from God. Verse 22, the righteousness, the New International Version says, the righteousness from God, it's received by faith in Christ, Because he says in verse 22, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is a free gift, not earned or merited. According to verse 24, you're justified or made righteous by his grace. And then number four, those who receive this righteousness by faith are said to be justified, declared righteous. Now in the old covenant when a Jew is said to have kept the law, it's a very legal term, dikaios, righteousness. When you kept the, the, the criteria by which you are determined to be righteous was the law of Moses. For example, Deuteronomy 6.25, Moses said, If you're careful to do all this law, 
it will be righteousness to you. If you're careful, and it's, it's at the conclusion of your life, because you have to keep the law, then you're declared righteous. Now, Paul is introducing a concept that's even radical. Here's a righteousness, not at the end, but now. That you can be declared righteous now. And... It's not based on our goodness or badness and weighing it out and seeing which one outweighs the other, but it's without regard to either. It's a free gift. And it is a standing, it is a verdict based on the standard of God's own law. Paul is proclaiming that this righteousness at the end can be brought forward into the present by faith. The future becomes now by faith. Deuteronomy 25.1 gives to us a context uh, from which the word justify or righteous is drawn. Deuteronomy 25 1. If there's a controversy between two men and they come into judgment or uh, the courtroom, the judges may judge them and they shall justify the righteous. In other words, acquit. You're put on trial and if you are determined to be innocent then you are justified you shall justify the righteous what Paul is saying what if you're not righteous and you get justified anyway by faith through Christ what an amazing concept you shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked so what does justify mean it's a verdict by the judge it's at the end of the trial your life, your conduct is evaluated it's based on your innocence if you're under the old covenant in the new covenant through Jesus Christ it's a verdict by the judge but it's not at the end it's now And it's not based on your guilt or innocence. It's based on Christ's guilt or innocence. This is is foreign to first century Judaism and modern day Judaism as well. Josephus, Jewish historian in the first century, lived about the time of Christ. His works are still available today. He wrote about the superiority of Israel's law. He said the reward for living, notice the reward for living exactly according to the law of Moses, is not silver or gold. But if we keep it, 
and even die for it, God will give to us a new and better existence, resurrection. So immortality comes because your life has been a life of obedience to the law of Moses. Now that was the Jewish view and still is much today to serious, sober-minded Jews. Paul is saying something different here. To be justified by grace as a gift in the present through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are still declared not guilty, but it's on the basis of being apart from the law and, and apart from works. See, Jesus was put on trial and found guilty with your guilt. And thus he was condemned. While we now attain the status, the standing that should have been his, and we walk away. Hello? I've told you, this is a good word. If you can believe it. If you can believe it. Because it, it is high. And I admit, it's subject to abuse. Would you say amen to that? It's subject to abuse. But it, do, it, it does not dilute the, the truth of it. It's similar to John 18, verse 89, when they came to arrest Jesus. He said, if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, of those, Father, whom you gave me, I lost not one. Hallelujah. If you seek me, going to put me on trial... Don't put them on trial. Find me guilty. Find them innocent. Put me in bonds. Let them go free. Hallelujah. And you know what? When they took Jesus, they were taking me in the sight of God. When they condemned Jesus, they were condemning me. They put him on a cross and crucified him and God turned his back on him because that was happening to me. And I meanwhile, I'm out here <laughs> free as a bird. Thank you, Jesus. But how can I ever fully appreciate and comprehend that kind of substitution on this side of eternity? I can't. It's beyond me. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't speak up in his own defense? I mean, they, uh, it says Isaiah 53, 7, like a lamb led to the slaughter and a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he, Christ, opened not his mouth. He didn't, he didn't say one word in his own defense. When they said, you violated the law. You violated the Sabbath. Man, he could have said, which of you convinces me of sin? Who, who among you is worthy to take up arms against me? 
I have never sinned. He could have said that. It was true. But he kept his mouth shut. You know why? Because he was me. And if they said, you have sinned, I'd be speechless. I'd say, dude, you don't know the half of it. (laughs) He was speechless because he was standing in my place. So 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, For our sake he became sin, he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Justification. What a word. What a good word today. Now I could stop right there and send you on your way happy today. Amen? Are y'all happy today? Because whatever's going on in your life... It can't overcome the fact that we have been justified before God. Our our heaven is secure and Christ is our substitute and we will never be condemned by the God of heaven. Hallelujah. So whatever else is going on, I got that one down. Hallelujah. All right, I want to say three things about justification. One is that we are justified totally. Totally. Obviously, we're justified in in regards to our sin and our failures, but also our works. Our works need justification. Now, most of you have make some effort to do something for God. But are those works always successful? Are they never without some impure motive? Are they constant in faithfulness? Or have you sometimes let down the rope? See, even our works, our good deeds have to be justified. The bad past, the Failures in the present, failures that we'll have in the future. I'm going to guess that before you get home today, you'll be sinning in thought, word, or deed. Especially if you drive home with your wife or your husband or your kids or other drivers are on the road. But we are justified totally. Now at the judgment, the final judgment, for those who have been justified, you've already been put on trial and pronounced or acquitted. So what happens at the judgment? And I want to read to you. This is in Matthew 25. We don't have the whole thing on the screen. But this is the final judgment. Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He sits on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people from one another as shepherds separate sheep from goats. Now, do you see? This is the final judgment. It's the big one. And there's only two groups, sheep and goats. 
He will, verse 33, he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And notice, they are already sheep or goats when they arrive at the judgment. Amen? See, they're, all, they're one or the other already. He's just separating them. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Notice verse 37. Then the righteous, Dikaios, the justified. Amen? The sheep are the justified. The righteous, the justified. They will say, Lord, we didn't know you was, we didn't know we was doing that to you when we did it to others. When we took care of them, we, we just thought we were taking care of them. No, you were doing it to me. They didn't even know. Now that's at the final judgment. Where in this is there any mention of the bad? There is none. It's an, we're saved by grace, judged by works, evaluated by our works, but the bad drops through the floor, is covered over. We're evaluated by the works, but the bad ones are not brought up. You can't put a man on trial, find him innocent, and then stand and talk about all the guilt that he has. I see some of you kind of thinking along with that, trying to wonder what I, where I'm heading with this. They're already sheep, they're already justified, and nothing as bad is said about them. It's the same way within the New Testament bringing up Old Testament saints. Now, there's some stinkers in the Old Testament. But here's what Paul said about David under the leading of the Holy Spirit. He said, Acts 13, 36, David, after he had served God's will in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. That's the summary of his life. Aren't we leaving out something? <laughs> Wasn't there a murder in there somewhere? Didn't he take a man's wife and then put his, this soldier at the front line and hand the note to do it in his own hands? Wasn't there guilt? But when he brings up David, he served the will of God in his own generation. Because God brings up your good points and drops the bad ones. Don't you love somebody like that? And then there's Sarah. I was just noticing Sarah came to my mind this morning. In the Old Testament, uh, God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, you're, you're going to have a baby. Sarah's going to have a son. And in Genesis 18, 12, Sarah, what? 
What'd she do? She laughed. <laughs> You're kidding. I'm 90 years old. I know she didn't believe it because if she had believed it, she wouldn't have laughed. She'd have cried. <laughs> but she laughed. And Abraham says, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. She lied. Laughed in unbelief and lied in the face of truth. Now, fast forward to the New Testament when Peter is looking for a holy woman to hold up as an example for the young ladies who adorned themselves with holiness. And here's what he says about Sarah. He says, 1 Peter 3.15, Follow the example of holy women who in the old time hoped in God and adorned themselves with that. Uh, you mean like her laughter and her lying and duplicity? You mean, no, he drops it. How about, here's one I thought of, Samson. In Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, the author of Hebrews brings up the great men of old and their faith. He said, these men, they subdued kingdoms. They stopped the mouths of lions. They put strange armies to flight. They, they did these mighty acts through faith. And he says, it was Gideon, and it was David, and it was Samuel, and it was Samson. And look at what they did. Oh, uh, you mean this and a prostitute named Delilah? You mean pulling the pillars down on his own head so he died and everybody with him? Don't remember that. Just his efforts of faith. See, one day... The, the wonderful groom, Jesus, will stand before the final judgment with his bride. Now, I would just ask you to consider that have you ever been to a wedding where the, the, the officiant comes in, the groom is standing there, and they're waiting for the bride to come down, and here she comes to be given away by the father. And the pastor says... We now want to hear a word from the groom. He's asked to speak. And the groom gets up and he says, Well, I'm going to marry this woman, but i got to tell you, she ain't the prettiest girl on the block. In fact, she's pretty ugly. And she can't cook a lick. And she's got quite a few flaws, like a got a big nose. If y'all notice the big nose, I mean, is that, is that the way you start a marriage? I don't know of any ceremony, and I've done a lot of them, none of them started with a criticism of the bride. If they did, they would have ended with a groom without a bride. Jesus on that day is not going to stand up and say, now I got a few things I want to bring up. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 says. 
verse Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify her, to cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word, and then present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot, without a wrinkle, or any such thing. That's the way we'll be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me of that guy who uh, they'd been married quite a while and the wife has, had purchased a new dress and she was trying to get into it. And she said, as she looked in the mirror, she said, Honey, my waist is way too big. And to be honest, I'm losing my hair. And I see a lot of wrinkles in this face. She said, can you say something good about my body? And he said, well, <laughs> he said, you got good eyesight. Him <laughs> some good eyes. No, that is not Jesus. He's not going to do that on that day. I'm just so happy in Jesus that he does not stand and point out and critique his church, his bride, his body, and we ought not either. Amen? Let's look for the good in people. We're justified totally. Second, we are justified permanently. It's not that when you fall, you're no longer justified. It's be like saying, okay, this person's put on trial, then he's found guilty, or he's found not guilty. But then the moment he goes out and sins, then he's brought back in, put on trial again, found guilty. It's guilty, not guilty. Guilty, not guilty. That's not justification. It's sanctification that we confuse with justification. Sanctification is progressive. It often fluctuates. Justification is one time, permanent, for eternity, and you can grow in holiness and sanctification and maturity. And it says, let us grow in faith. Let us grow in maturity. But it never says in the New Testament to grow in justification, grow in righteousness. Doesn't it never says that. Because you can grow in your knowledge of it, you can grow in your grasp of it, but you don't grow in it because you can't improve on not guilty. You're either acquitted or you're not acquitted. That's why Hebrews 10 verse 1 and 2 says... If the same sacrifices, talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, which were repeated daily, morning, evening, every year, if the same sacrifices continually offered every year could make perfect those who draw near, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if they actually did the job, wouldn't they have ceased to be offered sacrifices in the Old Testament? No, because you kept on falling and sinning. So they had to keep on bringing sacrifice. But, but he says, Hebrews 10, 11, 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Next time Satan accuses you of not being justified, you need to tell him uh, loudly and boldly, did Jesus get out of his seat to come and die again? Because that sacrifice took care of it and it doesn't have to be repeated. If we are not justified permanently, Christ would have to die repeatedly. Now some may object, well, why should we serve God? Why live for God? How, where's our motivation then? If our status is permanently perfect before the Father. Well, Paul in coming chapters is going to teach us that when we have been justified, Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God and God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, He gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to work with us. But that is not the same as justification. I'm talking about your standing, not your condition. I'm talking about your position before God and at the judgment, not your maturity level as a Christian. One final thing. We're justified totally, we're justified permanently, and we're justified graciously because Paul says we're justified by grace as a gift. As a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't improve on it. You can't even comprehend it fully. But you can have it. <laughs> Amen. And you can enjoy it. And you can celebrate it. When I was... Uh, this was Father's Day. And... My little seven-year-old granddaughter, Lucy, Bud and Amber's little girl, she brought me a Father's Day card. Now, <laughs> it's a seven-year-old. Now, it's not exactly Hallmark. And it had a drawing of, I don't know if it was a pig or a horse or what it was, and then it had her name. And I thought, that's a seven-year-old's artistry. And she gave it to me. Now, I didn't take that and say, boy, Lucy, you need to get some writing skills. Maybe take an artist class. I treasured that. You know what I did with it? I put it on my refrigerator and I look at it every time I open the door of the refrigerator, which is pretty often. <laughs> That's the way God looks at us because we are His children. Like His children, we don't 
constantly berate them? Amen? No. Love forgives and dilutes and spreads mercy and there's a blanket of grace on everything because they're ours. Chuck Swindoll tells the story about when this was years ago when a friend of his invited him to visit his church in San Francisco. This church had long before abandoned the scripture and the gospel and focused only on human rights, politics, and social programs. Swindoll says that as he stood there in that great sanctuary and there was a beautiful circular atrium and along the top above the doors were pictures of great social workers and great politicians. He said there was Lincoln and Washington and Martin Luther King Jr. and there was Mahatma Gandhi and others much like that. And then above the pictures was a verse, Galatians 3.26, where you are all children of God. Do you have that verse? This is what they had up there. You're all the children of God. And then they had the ellipsis. There's little three dots. It means that they've taken part of it out of the verse. And Swindoll says he went in and he heard the message. He said there wasn't an ounce of gospel or scripture in the message. It was all do good, be good. And on the way out, he was, they were talking to people and, and someone pointed out, do you like our atrium? And, and he said, looking at the verse, he said, do you know the rest of the verse? To all the people standing around. He said, do you know the rest of the verse? And there was an awkward silence because no one did. And he said, let me give it to you. And he quoted them, Galatians 3.26, You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ Jesus. That's the sum and substance of it right there. So my message today is you can be justified. The trial and the verdict brought from the future and given to you in the present of not guilty, acquitted, you may go free. What blessedness is that? And it makes me want to love and serve this Jesus who went on trial for me and obtained my acquittal before the God of heaven. And I say hallelujah to his name. I'm thankful to proclaim it and shout it from the housetops today. Forgive my enthusiasm, but it's wonderful.
What a good word is justification. Amen. Let's pray together. Ushers, you come and let's give to this Savior who gave himself in our place. Let's worship him with our tithes and offerings. Holy Father, your word and your gospel makes us happy today. It brings security to my heart that I could never have. It brings assurance. It takes away the fear of death and of judgment. And I thank you, O God, and I praise you, O Savior, for your gospel this day. Bless each one and bless in our giving. Revive our hearts through the power of your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.